what I believe when I look at our culture, that's one of the great ills, one of the great um, tragedies is that these rites of passage don't exist. So we, we, we're, a, we're a community, a culture run by boys. Welcome back to another episode. I am delighted to have Luke Entrup here with me today. He is a startup coach and teacher, and he also is working with young men and men on rites of passage. And I think that this is an interesting topic because it relates to a lot of other things. So I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your origin story in terms of this this part of what you do around rites of passage. Of course. Yeah. Well, thrilled to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. So this actually goes back to my own childhood. I had, uh, you know, my father was quite present for me and, and invited me into several experiences along the way, culminating in doing men's work, a men's kind of rites of passage program when I was 22 years old. And this was one of the most impactful experiences of my life, hands down. And what I can say about it is I clearly know the moment when I was no longer a boy and I was a man. I was in the woods with a group of other like men that were committed to living lives of purpose and passion and living from their hearts and, and were committed to healing wounds of the past and serving the community. And they kind of, over a weekend, they, they kind of showed me these ways, right? And then in a, in a kind of ceremonial moment, I was told you're now a man. And this just had profound implications for me in my life and really set me on a course of like living, not just for myself, but, you know, living from a place of kind of a transpersonal mission, a mission outside of myself. And um, now I'm, you know, I'm middle-aged and have a boy of my own. And it's brought up this question about how fundamentally, like, how do we raise good men? And um, that's that's really where this is, you know, is coming from in me. So I know that my listeners are going to want to know a little bit more about like, well, what did you do when you were 22? Mm-hmm. What was the actual thing? What, what was the what was the rite of passage? How did it work? You know, can you give us a little bit of, of detail around what it was? Of course, it's it's it was a pro, it's a program called the New Warrior Training Adventure through the Mankind Project, which is a men's organization that's reintroducing rites of passage and introducing the concept of healthy masculinity back into our culture. And this, the New Wear Training Adventure is done over a weekend, basically a Friday afternoon to a Sunday afternoon. And um, they're still happening <laughs> all these years later. And um, yeah, that's the organization. And, and I think what was really important about that particular experience for me was in the aftermath of that, in the, in the, the integration period, I was able to plug into a men's group and i had in my 20s i had just the most like badass group of men that were living lives of fire and passion and meaning and impact that i was surrounded by them and i was it really formed me in in a very deep way about not just um kind of uh 
sucking down or digesting the cultural norms, but really investigating what's what's the truest path for me about my work in the world and how I relate to women. And um, so that that organization and those group that group of men really had a deep impact on me. Yeah, it's also I'm so I'm imagining it was we're in the woods and we do some difficult things because mm-hmm. rites of passage are not original to our culture. They've been around for millennia. And sort of to your point, I think they've been lost in the West very much so. And we're, you know, I'm sure you can wax poetic about what was lost when we lost those. But um, it seems like from what I understand in a lot of indigenous cultures, and I'm originally from Hawaii, that's Mm-hmm. where I'm from. I'm not native Hawaiian, but one of the rites of passage that I heard about in Polynesia, I thought was uh, pretty striking, which was if a couple wanted to get married, they were given a knife and stripped down to nothing. So you have to go in, you know, into the forest or jungle or whatever you want to call it naked with one knife between the two of you. If you can make it for two weeks together and you come out together, you can get married. Mm-hmm. If you can't make it through that period together as a team, you can't get married. And that's a different kind of rite of passage. But I thought to myself, how different would that be if it, if your culture put you through an experience of testing essentially and, and uh, rigorous testing. And so that the, the community could see you come out, but also you had a sense of, of being different, of feeling different, of knowing I made it through this hard thing. So if you would be able to explain just a little bit about, you know, your experience, mm-hmm. was it about doing a difficult thing during that period? Or what was it about it that had you feel? Because that is remarkable what you said about, I felt like I went in a boy and came out a man. You mm-hmm. didn't say it like that, but that's part of what I heard. And I, I feel like I work with a lot of men who still don't feel like they're a man, you know, even though they're in physically, you know, bodies that would suggest that they are, they don't feel inside. I am a man. I know who I am or what I'm about. So what, what was, what was that for you? Or what, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the secrecy and you can't tell us. But. No, no. I think fundamentally what we're talking about is initiation, right? Initiating into a new way of being. And there's a well-worn path of initiation across most cultures, you know, across time, right? And the idea is that we, in order to move from one phase of life into the next, we have to do, in the way that you just described, we have to kind of be pulled out of our everyday reality, pulled out of the comforts of our home, and uh, plunged into a descent. So this this tracks to uh, Joseph Campbell's idea of the hero's journey, right? Separation, ordeal, and return. Three phases. We separate from um, from the known world, we separate from our community, we separate from uh, the comforts, and then we were put into some sort of ordeal where we face some part of ourselves, or you know, we have to kill a lion <laughs> with a spear to become a man, or we need to do a vision quest into the wild and face uh, whatever comes across our path. And then there's the integration and the return back into the community with the blessing and honor of elders, with um, with an integration back to a recognition of who we are now. And this is where in some indigenous tribes, this is where tattooing and scarring comes into place to mark, like you now are no longer a boy, you are a man. And, and I should say like, there are, you know, so this is the basic model of a rite of passage, right. Of a, of an initiation. And, um, 
when we don't have that, there's all sorts of, of um, challenges where we do end up a culture that is largely run by uninitiated men who are walking around as boys. They don't have the experience of facing some part of themselves in a deep way where um, they're forced to confront uh, their wounds of their past or the the motivations that are purely selfish and not for the community. Um, so we, that's, you know, that's one, what I believe when I look at our culture, that's one of the great ills. One of the great, um, tragedies is that these rites of passage don't exist. So we, we were, we're a community, a culture run by boys. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And in your, you know, in your personal experience, it sounds like the, that weekend itself did involve some ordeal, right? difficult things that you have to do perhaps by yourself, perhaps in a group as a team. Exactly. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your own experience of when you left or when it, when it felt like, okay, I'm a man now, was Mm -hmm. it because for example, like I did that, I made it through the night or I did this thing, or was it, I showed up, even if I didn't do the thing, I showed up with everything I had. What was it about the ordeal part that helped you feel like, okay, I'm, I've landed, I'm a man now. Yeah, I mean, well, so the in the in the New Air Training Adventure for the Mankind Project, this is one example of this, right? That I had that was deeply impactful. Uh, there was a initially like a stripping away of of um, creature comforts of cell phones and keys and and you know things that would distract me from being present in the experience, and then um, kind of a confrontation with one's own sense of integrity and accountability. So a deep examination about where in my life uh, do I, have I let, let others down? Have I um, failed with my word? Where am I, where am I accountable to misdeeds uh, that I'm not fully facing? So really like the, the metaphor there is like being held up to like black granite or a mirror in a very fierce way, in a way that I've found is a little bit different when it's just men and, and, uh, men holding other men accountable um, in a loving but very fierce way to say, brother, take a deeper look, deeper, deeper. You have to look, go deeper if you want to know the truth about yourself, right? And then from there, some education about emotional literacy. And for me, the deep ordeal in this case was facing my own wounds of my past, the way that um you know, things that happened to me when I was younger, how that shaped my experience of life in the present day and going deep inside of the shadows to, to kind of heal, lance the wound, heal it and, and, um, do that in the company of other men. Um, so that's really in this, in this experience, that's very much the ordeal. It's very much a, a personal journey. And then there's a celebration and a, and a, an examination of like, okay, you're this new person. You're a, you're a man now. How do you want to serve the greater culture? What is your mission? Why are you here? Um, because once we can we can uh, heal the wounds of the past, we show up in the world differently. We tr- we show up with you know more trustable and with more life force to to press our mission into the world. And so there then is a refinement around a personal mission statement. So I walked out very clearly with a personal mission statement about why I'm alive. Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> Do you remember what it was? Because we evolve over time. So yeah. you and me too would be different than you now, but do you remember? Um, it, 
I don't remember the exact language. It has evolved. And what I could say is it was something along the lines of I create an awakened universe by offering experiences of transformation. And that's a fairly esoteric one. Some some guys come out and say like, I'm here to feed the world by growing organic produce or something, you know, like it, it doesn't need to be so, so um, cosmic as mine. But the idea for me was like an awakened world. I wanted an awakened world because my experience was one of really feeling like I was a zombie in the matrix, just like walking through life a bit numb, a bit listless, not really finding anything meaningful. And I was super committed to not going back to that place. So for me, it was all, my mission is all about wakefulness, waking people up, uh, waking myself up daily to not fall into, you know, the, the, the listless patterns that can occur. So. I think a lot of people will relate to what you just said about mm-hmm. the zombie state. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, it sounds like this, this experience and the connection that you had with the men from that point forward, the combination mm-hmm. of those, not just one weekend, but also the connection moving forward. Was that what woke you up? Or do you feel like you were awake before you showed up? Or, or what happened? Because people are going to want to know, how did you get from the zombie state to not the zombie state? Uh, it was very. It was facing the pain of the past. The pain is what numbs us, right? Like when we... Things happen to all of us. That's being human, right? We're born, as Robert Bly, he talks about it, like being born 360 degrees of light. Like if you've ever looked into a newborn's eyes, you see nothing but potential, right? But then life happens. Just even being born, the birth process, it's like we're getting squeezed or, you know, as we're raised, we're told to be a certain way, you know, uh, boys don't cry, right? And so we stuff that pain and it goes into the shadow and that 360 degrees isn't quite 360 degrees anymore. And so we start to carry this pain. And I think especially as men, um, pain turns into numbness pretty easily, especially when we don't feel it. Um, And numbness at times turns into rage and anger, right? So, but beneath that all is always the pain of the past, right? And so once I was able to open that up and really look at, some very painful things that happened to me, I was able to, and not all of them. It's just like, you know, like one good, good look at one deep wound in that, in that experience. And I was able to feel the pain and allow it to move through my body, mind, allow it to be healed in the presence of other men. Then I started to notice like vitality moving through my body, like a sense of, um, of aliveness (laughs) to the point where I remember at the end of one experience, I was like, you know, I was crowing like a rooster, right? Like I am awake now, you know? And, and, um, and that's really, I think, you know, that's kind of what can happen when we really face the pain of the past. We, we do this, this, um, the, the, the breath of life moves through us. And over time we become more alive, more vital, uh, in our bodies. I love that. I love the idea of crowing. There's something, uh, there's something delightful about feeling, feeling the energy moving you, you, instead of trying to do something kind of like a robot or, a, or I guess zombies don't really do anything, but I feel what I feel when you share that is the force of life moving through you mm-hmm. and the natural expression of that being crowing, which is, there's just something delightful about that. I think that's, that's a great, that's a great share. So we- it sounds like for you, this, this, this rite of passage was a big part of your awakening process. And maybe there was some zombiness going on and 
middle school, high school, college time, despite having a present dad, as you mentioned, despite having support, you know, it doesn't have to be, like you said, we all go through a lot of stuff and it's different for different people, but I, I really appreciate that, you know, pointing out of, especially as men pain that's unfelt can turn into numbness. Yeah. And and this can turn into rage because that feels very true. And it does feel like we as a culture are, I I do think that we as a culture are waking up to, we need a better way of doing things, but we're in that awkward stage of like, okay, how do we do it? Like, how do we, you know, how do we do this? Okay. We, we know that sexism is a problem and racism is a problem and, you know, people not being connecting, feeling really lonely because of social media is a problem. And then we're like, okay, but like, what do we do? (laughs) What are the actual steps to getting to a fair, more equitable world, a more inclusive world, a more, a healthier world? You know, how does that actually work? So um, um, it seems like one of your contributions is rites of passage and offering this kind of experience to others. So can you say a little bit about that? work because we're sort of you're leading there yes of course i mean this is you know when i when i look at the world around us and as i said earlier like i I see so many of the ills so many of the challenges are because we don't have initiation especially for men uh, is where i I see the problem right so there are a few moments of of passage in a boy's life until he reaches manhood and you know the first obviously is birth and then one of the next most significant passages is into the teenage years right and then there's another one at the end of the teenage years into manhood um where where i have focused right now is in that 10 to 14 year old that that area where it's very much about becoming a part of something right um later in the later teens into manhood it's more about becoming a self, like becoming very unique in the world and, and like planting my flag, putting a stake in the ground about who I am. But in this, this age from 10 to 14, when the hormones start, hormones start kicking in and there's a need for like really to sort out where do I belong? Um, you know, that's where I want us to be as a culture and as, as fathers, as men to be there to help shepherd that passage Right. And, um, you know, I'm a part of this just, you know, just to be honest is like, I have my own son is, is 11. He's about to be 12. And when I look at him and I, and I ask the question, he, I mean, he's just come in hot. I mean, since the day he was born, he is just all fire, you know? And, um, as one of the uh, other adults in his life said is like, this guy was just hardwired to be like roaming the forest all day. And like, he can't, he can't be boxed up. Right. And I feel that in him. And so I look at him and I think, how do I raise a good man? How do I raise a good man? How do I help create the conditions and do my part to, to make sure I've done everything I can so that this fiery, super passionate, um, running hot, you know, just, um, incredible force of a human has some experiences to know what to do with his own personal power. Um, and so that's really where it's coming from in me. And, um, you know, when I thought about ex- designing experience, an experience for him about calling in some of my buddies and my men's group to like help initiate him, I thought, actually, there's something bigger here. This is something I think all 
boys can can use at this moment in their life. And um, I think one of the, the best medicines around this is the relationship with their fathers or father figures, right? So when there's a deep connection between, uh, you know, a, a, an adolescent boy and his father, that can be just, just a really important piece. Um, I feel my son starting to want independence pulling away from me in certain ways. And I, as I talk to other fathers, many of us have felt this, like our boys are, we feel like, oh my gosh, we're slipping. They're slipping away. My baby's slipping away. What's going to happen when he's got a big problem? I want to be there for him. So this is where rites of passage is important because we can create an experience that is non-ordinary. We are going to go into the woods. We are going to be a bit uncomfortable. We're going to, um, you know, we're going to do things like learn about emotions. We're going to do some martial arts, get into the body and spend time outside. And in doing so, it's going to, it's going to break the habitual patterns of how uh, fathers and sons relate so that we can have deep and meaningful conversations about sex, about personal power, about consent, about boundaries, about why you're here and what do you want to do and who you're drawn to. You know, these are some of the, this is, you know, this is kind of where we're going with it. It's intensely relatable, uh, what you're describing, because the 10 to 14 year old range is about where do I belong? It's when we as human beings, you know, it's middle school for those of us in North Mm -hmm. America, It's the middle school and early high school. It's where do I sit? Who do I belong with? How do I act to be accepted? Right. There's so there are so many questions around how do I fit in with my peers? which is another version of where do I belong? But what you're describing that's so what's beautiful about what you're describing is that according to social science research, loneliness is worse for men. Men in our culture are deeply lonely. And when they look at the wording and how boys talk about their friends and talk about their social connections, they see a marked difference in this time period you're talking about, right around 11 to 12, 10, 11, 12. Before that age, sometimes boys will hold hands. And again, I have mostly a North American frame and this research is from North America. So I'll ground it in that. But there's a marked difference between saying, I love you or, you know, let's hang out or openness, you know, responsiveness, friendship between boys. And then 10, 11, 12, you see a a drastic shift. Boys start to pull away from each other. The rampant homophobia in our culture is still totally ruling. And so you see a lot of like the backslap hug, right? Where boys, they stop actually hugging and they start doing the backslap, the way they talk about things. There's much less safety. There's much less emotional safety for boys right around that age. And so part of what's beautiful about what you're doing is this, this time period is actually critical. And for the men, the men in the, in the tribe or in the group to take the boys and to, to, to work with them and be with them and hold space for them and lead them through an experience is powerful to, to sort of show them we as men connect with each other right? It's not just about the boys' experience, but it's them. They're watching. They're looking at the men in the group. They're seeing how you relate with each other. And so your your group, your men's group, you are showing them, we are friends. We are close. We are able to express with each other. We show up for each other. It's like a demonstration of what can be 
versus what our culture does, which is separate, separate boys, separate men, sort of pit them against each other. Just there's, it's not healthy how we as a culture deal with masculinity. So there's something particularly valuable about what you're describing because it's coming at exactly the right point. It's like, this is when boys start to disconnect. This is when they start to isolate um, in order to fit in. It's so ironic. They start to isolate in order to fit in and they don't have any direction really. So you're kind of coming in and providing that direction and that leadership. And it's so personal. It's so personal what you said about like, shit, we're kind of losing our boys. We can feel them pulling away a little bit or a lot bit. And what do we do about that? And what's going to happen when they do have a problem or what's something when they like someone and they don't know how to approach it? And what if they, you know, what if stuff happens? Like, what are they, are they going to come to me? Are they going to, is it going to feel safe? They don't, they don't really have that many tools, you know, so it feels like a really important time. And I'm, I'm curious if you can speak a little bit about where you are in the process. Have you run a bunch of these? What are you finding about who shows up? You know, what's, what's happening? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're, I mean, first of all, I think you're, you're right. Like this is definitely about creating a community to role model what it means to be in a healthy masculinity in all of its, the full spectrum of what that means. Right. So that is, uh, is all the power and potency of being a man and all of that, that, that means to have power pumping through your body. So we're going to do things like, like martial arts and be, you know, I think, you know, we got to, we've got to be in our bodies. We, um, you know, in your, you know, your, your, your inquiry about belonging, right? This stage is so much about belonging and there's so much we can learn about belonging from the natural world, right? Whenever we feel lonely, whenever I feel lonely, I can go into the woods and I can feel at home with the trees, with the birds, with the creatures, with whatever may come across my path. And whether it's alone in nature or with others, maybe just a walk with my with my father or my son in nature, there's a sense of belonging that inevitably will occur in that, right? And so your whole, your, you know, this piece that you're bringing about belonging, I think is so fundamental. Um, as far as this program, so this program is called the Father-Son Connection Experience. And we are going to, we're doing the first version of this, uh, this kind of incarnation in April. This will be the first time we run it. I have run a version of this program over many years. So a lot of the elements um, I've used in the past and um, at various ages up to, you know, 30 years old, but there's the elements of initiation and kind of rites of passage are present in this. But this particular program, this is the first time we've done it in this way with fathers and sons of this age. Um, So we're really, yeah, we're really excited to get this off the ground. It's, inspiring to hear i think like what i was saying about we all know we're all pretty familiar with the big problems in our world mm-hmm. we're much less familiar with solutions or programs ways of addressing addressing this um and so i'm wondering um how is that for you to be a sort of pioneer here like how much have you research other programs in other places. I mean, I'm just, that's an interesting position to hold. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, in all honesty, I don't think anything that I'm doing is original to me. This is very, you know, like in many ways, this is, this, all we're doing is reintroducing something that was lost only about 200 years ago, which is just a very small little drop in the bucket of, you know, time in, of in humanity. Right. So, um, 
we live in an interesting time where I think if we if we roll the tape forward in a hundred years, I think m- these rites of passage will be back in this culture, in our developing culture. Right? That's that is the vision: is that that we're acknowledging um, these these steps along the human journey in a way in community with ceremony and ritual with uh, stewardship and mentorship from elders. Um, so that's the vision. And I think it's completely, totally possible, you know, um, because it's, it's not been so long. It is a little bit of a chicken and egg issue, right? Where the, you know, when you do rites of passage, you're, you're inviting people into a new way of being. And traditionally there would be those that have already been initiated welcoming, right? And we don't necessarily have that. So we're kind of, you know, we're piecing this together. And so I think for the next, you know, 20, 30 years, 50 years, this is what it'll be. But I, my vision and the vision of many of us is like, this is, we're, we're, we're going back to this. Um, and, you know, to, so we've drawn on a lot of, there's a lot of wonderful thought leaders in this space. And, you know, um, I actually, I just interviewed a man on my podcast, uh, Crazy Wisdom is the podcast, and uh, Frederick Marx is his name. And this, um, you know, he has actually written this wonderful book called Rights to a Good Life. And it's basically um, taken all of these different uh, models and and ways of, of introducing rites of passage and put it in kind of one kind of compendium. And I've been using that. I think it's just a really great, he, he's a friend of mine and he's done just a wonderful job of doing that. And um, so I recommend that for people that are interested. It's just a really good map for this. Yeah. And it's, I'm glad that you spoke a little bit to, you know, what has, it hasn't been that long and it feels like it's been forever in a way. So um, yeah, I guess I, I think that we might be working backwards here a little bit, but what do you think in, in the, in the men in your life, what do you notice about the men that haven't had some kind of initiation? What, how do they show up? What are they like? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a human experience, right? So I think that one of the things that initiation does, it takes a level of bravery. It takes a level of courage, right? And so, um, whether we're going to go have to kill a lion or, you know, we're going to have to, um, face some part of ourself, some, some insecurity, some doubt, some wound of the past, some trauma, it takes a level of courage. And um, when we're on the other side of that kind of ruthless ordeal and we've reintegrated, we have less, um, we're less protective. We're more, more openly hearted, vulnerable. And there's, there's more curiosity to really examine um, the truth of our own heart and our own emotions. Right. And um, so for those that have yet to have a deep, meaningful initiation, there can be a bit of kind of reticence, avoidance. Um, there can be a bit of um, kind of distractibility and and numbing out, right? And um, from that place, you know, uh, all sorts of shadowy things can occur. You know, not to say that initiation will take away all of our shadows, but when we've when we've investigated them more deeply and we've really had to turn into uh, the places of closure the places of of our habitually showing up in a in a way that can be harmful to ourselves or others um that has less energy right and and uh, so anyway I, that's where i go with that 
that question at least. And if you're willing to share, do you have a personal example of something that you faced and then how you noticed you were showing up differently after that in your own process? Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, what I could say about this is I have gotten the same feedback about, you know, when asked in a circle of men to be given ruthless feedback, not just men, by the way, but, but oftentimes this happens in men's work, right? Where we do some sort of hot seat where we're, you know, we sit in front of our brothers who we've known for months or years and say, like, how do you experience me? Like, tell me, what are my gifts and what are my blind spots? I've gotten the same feedback for 25 years, which is, well, you're a little aloof, slightly arrogant, and you're a bit too proper, you know? And um, it's been the same thing over a lifetime, essentially. But the thing is, is over time, it has softened. It's not like the volume has gotten... And people that know me, that have known me for 25 years since I was initiated as a young boy into healthy... Or as a, you know, as a early 20-something into healthy masculinity, like they see how much less arrogant I am, how much less aloof I am. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's the same thing that over time, I've had to just continue to to turn into that. And what I've found in my in my, you know at this point, decades of looking at this particular piece of feedback is underneath the arrogance is pain. Underneath the arrogance is my own self-doubt, my own self-judgment. I will I will keep a distance to other people as a way of controlling the situation and controlling how they perceive me. And that actually comes from pain. That actually comes from my own wounding as a child, as a, you know, essentially as an adolescent, the way that I was bullied by the other boys my age and kind of that that um, making sure that I keep people at a distance a bit so that that doesn't happen to me again, right? That's kind of the psychodynamic script that plays in my body mind. And we all have these, by the way, right? Um, this just happens to be my unique, my unique one. Well, I'm glad that you brought up bullying because I would say a decent percentage of our clients have endured bullying. And I think we as a culture don't connect dots around bullying and then the effect of that, right? What it, how it plays out down the line and what happens for adults who were bullied. They're sort of like, oh, bullying, that's something that happened, but it's, it's not just something that happened. It's deeply impactful to people's nervous systems and their body minds. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And I think that's a good example of, it is scary to go back to those places. It is, it's really terrifying to go back to places in our lives where we felt powerless or we felt denigrated in some way, where we felt put down, whatever constellation you want to put around it. It's really scary. We don't, we all, you know, to your, to your point about numbing, we don't really want to go there. So mm-hmm. we tend to, to not go there. And these experiences that you're describing, you know, rites of passage. And I think that it's, it, it's interesting because there are two things that you're pointing out about the rights of the rites of passage that we're talking about. One is physical discomfort. So the body actually being cold or hungry or lost, right? Here's the compass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you got to go to six clicks that way. This is how this works. You will get there, but you know, that's disorienting. There's physical and then there's emotional, what you're talking about of confronting the parts of us, you know, that mirror, holding up the mirror, holding up the, the obsidian rock or whatever it was and actually confronting what, what have I done in my life? Where have I let people down or where have I not shown up or, and, or 
often what happened to me, what actually happened to me, where were the the dark places. And it's interesting because that, um, that process in what you're describing, it's not just about going through that yourself. It's about sharing it in an experience with other people. It's about having it held or witnessed somehow in a group of men. And to me, that's almost like the antidote to bullying. Bullying is we're just going to tear you down. We want you to feel like shit. We're taking our own shame out on you. It's horrible. There's no connection. You know, it's just, it's, it's a whole abusive thing versus we're here. We're holding you with love. You're going to go through something difficult and we're here to catch you. We're here to hold you. So they're both difficult experiences, but one is held with love and the other is held with shame. And I'm wondering, you know, you've been through a lot of these experiences. I would imagine that bullying is one of the things that comes up. Is that true? And what are the other big things that men are facing from their past that they're noticing has gotten in their way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just specifically around the bullying piece, you know, there's... um like all things, there's like a little bit of medicine or there's like, um, it can get twisted, right? There's a way in which men kind of joking and playing and poking at each other is just like one of the best things about brotherhood, right? The way that we can, you know, give each other a little shit and, you know, kind of poke fun in another man's blind spot in a way that like, you know, lovingly calls him to greater attention around his own shortcomings. There's a, there's a way in which, um, we can do that using humor, using humor with, with others is a, um, to call them, call them out, call them in to a greater depth in themselves. That's, that's just, there's nothing like it. Right. And as you say, then when that gets shifted into shaming, uh, it doesn't cut much deeper than that. Right. So that's definitely when we talk about like, what are some of the wounds that men bring in to be healed in these types of circles and experiences, um, bullying and is, is certainly one of them. You know, most most of us, pretty much all of us, have some sort of beliefs that we've taken on um, about ourselves due to how we were parented. And you know, the whether uh, we had an absent father, which is or some level of absence from a father figure, most men have that. And there's um, a kind of a lack of a of a map about how to be a man. That is a huge wound of just the, the absent father wound. And then of course, you know, um, our relationship to our mothers and, and how, you know, each of us kind of had something there, some, and so, you know, I think the parent, the parent thing is a big one. Um, and then there's another whole thing when we get into like men of, you know, a bit older is like the, what they've heard, from the women of their life about them, about like the judgments that women have hurled at them or launched at them that has gone deep and cut them deep. And it has created a belief that they have about themselves. Right. So these are, I think some of the themes without getting it, like everybody kind of has their own thing, right. <laughs> They're going to show up. And the idea is like, what are the beliefs that you have about yourself that, that, um, that are shaping your reality and limiting how you, you know, you're the fullest expression of who you can be in human and finding that those unique messages for each of us and then tracing that back and healing that. And that's really kind of the, you know, this idea of shadow work, which we do a lot of, it's a little bit different with the boys, right? Because they don't have, um, the patterns haven't played out for a lifetime, you know, for a couple of decades. So it's for, for boys that are 10 to 14, it's much more about 
healthy ego development. It's more about this is who I am. And, and it's actually about setting those beliefs in motion in a very virtue in a, in a like generative way. Um, we certainly talk about wounds of the past, but it's less about like excavating and do, going into a bunch of repressed memories, which is what we do with men. You know, this is what you do with adult men about this with boys. It's more about like healthy ego development. So it's a lot of healthy self-building, if that makes sense. Yes. And I, I guess I would just also name in this conversation that another wound that I have seen in many of my clients and just men that I know is sexual abuse, unwanted sexual experiences. And just to sort of normalize this, because I've been in the field for a while, a lot of those are with other boys. It's not, you know, I think we think of sexual abuse and we often think of some dude in a van and that's the minority of experiences. The vast majority of experiences of unwanted sexual experiences are with people in our environment. So cousins, step siblings, um, sometimes, yes, of course, there is a power differential with parents or parent figures, but there's a lot of, you know, I hear a lot of stories of I was 12 and he was 16 or I was 10 and he was 14 or I was this and, you know, he was that age. And I think that there's, there's something really um, powerful about helping with what you're talking about of healthy ego development and kind of knowing who you are for a variety of reasons, including, I think it does, it it sets up a stage of resilience on, it sets you up for more resilience rather than this age. It's, it's really easy. Like you said, during this age to like, believe I'm you know, I'm not as good as my sibling because that's how my family thinks about me. Or, you know, if you could give us a few more of those phrases of the beliefs that they start getting installed when we're young and solidified right around this age, right? Of like, these are things I've been told. And now I've sort of think of myself that way rather than, okay, well, what are some actual healthy messages? Like I don't need to be perfect to be loved or, you know, whatever they are, but can you give a few examples of what the, you know, what the limiting beliefs sound like a lot of times and then what you're kind of helping the boys install. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a whole thing. I mentioned the one earlier about like boys don't cry or, you know, um, don't be a sissy. You know, there's kind of like any form of emotion is a form of weakness. I think that's like the predominant one for most men is like show emotions and you're weak. And, you know, you will get torn up socially if that, if you do reveal emotions. Um, there's a whole thing about like, you know, man of the house, right? So oftentimes when there's an absent father or, um, you know, a a father that's not there enough that the, usually the eldest boy, but sometimes just any of the boys become kind of the man of the house and have to take on the, the kind of emotional support either of their mother or just of the siblings, you know, so that's a, that's a big one. Um, there's a big one around like your power is dangerous, right? Like you hurt people. Um, and so, and this, this means like, you know, because, you know, you know, boys are like of the body and flailing around and there's this period of awkwardness of like limbs flying and like hurting people or, or just even hurting people with words that the message is like, you're dangerous and you hurt people. Um, This, by the way, is why we, you know, your point about sexual abuse and, 
and power. You know, I, this is we, you know, in these experiences for this age, we do spend a lot of time around um, in martial arts. Like, and, and why we do martial arts is because the boys then are learning about boundaries, right? Like having power move through your body, having emotion through move through your body, and then being in relationship with another moving, whether it's, um, you know, we kind of, we'll do like some Aikido and like light martial arts where you're, you're, you're taking punches and moving it. And, um, there we, we do some stuff around like the model of the wheel of consent about like, um, you know, stop, come go. We'll have the boys across from their dads and maybe some other boys like beckoning, uh, someone towards them with a hand gesture and then pausing them with a hand gesture and then moving them away. So we're working on that spatial relationship of knowing like, um, what's it like to be in full power in my body and have the ability to both um, move and be moved, right? Like recognizing my boundaries and recognizing the boundaries of another person while being all kind of worked up and in a moment of, of you know, uh, martial arts. So does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> I think it's also um, a visceral experience of this is what it feels like when my boundaries are respected. This exactly. is what it feels like to assert a boundary and have it be listened to. And I think that's one of the most pernicious parts of unwanted sexual contact of any kind is my power is taken away. I didn't have a choice. I don't have a choice. There's It's happening to me. I don't have agency. And so that restoring that sense of agency, restoring that sense of power, restoring that sense of authority over my experience is a central part of healing from that wound. And I think that's misunderstood in general culture talking about it. Cause it's like, Oh, it's about the sex part. It's like, it's partly about the sex part. But it's a lot about the agency part about my power and my, my felt sense of being in my body, mind, and it being that I can assert myself and people will listen that yeah. my boundary will be respected. So that's a, that's a cool physical way of working with that. And yeah. Sense. Amen to that. And I would just add like, you know, the way that we as humans will learn this best is to be on both sides of that circuit, right? There is the asserting my own boundary, which then allows me to learn how to recognize and acknowledge another person's boundaries. And then we work it from the other side of the circuit. Okay. Now someone's going to draw a boundary with me. How do I stay engaged and present with them, make, maintaining eye contact, maintaining my breath while acknowledging someone else's boundary, right? So you have to work both sides to really understand boundaries. And, you know, for me, when I think about this program, you know, look, well, I'll just tell you. So like one of the, the moment when I knew I had to do this, uh, a friend of mine was, was um, sexually assaulted essentially. And, um, and I was just kind of blown away, right? Like at, in our forties that this happened still, like I had had several friends that had been sexually assaulted in their twenties when I was a, you know, a younger man. And here it is. It just won't go away. It won't go away. Here it is again. And I looked at some other things happening in the culture, you know, shooting at my, at my, the grocery store I used to go to in Boulder and, you know, the, this, all this nonsense happening with the insurrection. And I just thought like, what is happening with men, you know, and part of it was this, you know, that this is, this was partly my response to that is like, you know, how do we raise good men, you know, and part of that is acknowledging boundaries and letting 
boys be in their full force of their energy, hormones cranking through their body, let them feel their power. And at the same time, not have to use that to hurt and dominate others, women, other boys, the people around them. How do we, how do we do that? How do we teach that? How do we teach a sense of embodied power at the age of 10, 11, 12, 13, 14? You know, that's really um, where this is coming from in me. I really love that. What you just said about feeling your power, being with your power, engaging with someone and responding to their no without disconnecting or without collapsing. Because I think that's a really important moment of, okay, you're going to be with that person. They're going to say no to you. They're going to tell you stop in some way and, and maintain eye contact. Keep breathing. Stay here. Stay present. Thank that, them. Yes. Thank them. Thank, thank them. them. Right. Because that has been my experience of one of the biggest fears in my life is saying no to a man, whether he's asking me out or some, just any time I have to say no to a man, I feel fear in my body. I feel fear in my stomach. I feel pretty much full body fear. And I've had some bad experiences and everyone I know has had some bad experiences. And I think that that, what you just, what you just described is the missing piece of how we can receive no from other people and stay connected, right? Stay, stay here, not disconnect or go into a shame spiral or have a rage response, but like, okay, I heard a no, I'm still here. It doesn't mean I'm bad. It doesn't mean I'm bad for asking. It doesn't mean I'm bad for trying. I'm still here. I'm okay. And there, and again, I love what you're describing because it's a felt experience of that. It's in the body, in the moment actually doing it, not sort of talking about it. Cause I think, you know, as a woman, and (laughs) I think that this is a really healthy expression of consent work because it is embodied because when we're, we're sort of just, when there's just talking, I think it's less grounding than actually trying it out and doing, doing something physically to, to feel it. And, and remaining breathing. I, I notice a lot of, a lot of us stop breathing around these, these experiences and it really helps to keep breathing. So mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a practice, right? It's like anything else. We, there will be mistakes. We'll fumble, whether we're a 12 year old boy or a 50 year old man, like learning these, learning how to be embodied in the face of a no is an ongoing, you know, practice. And so this is why I think our own personal practices are really important. Finding, you know, a way to, you know, into meditation and ways to get a good deep breath so that, you know, we're training our nervous system to continuously get good deep breath so that when we're in a moment of stress and she says no to us or we need to say no to someone, there's a there's an openness, there's an availability in our heart and a, you know, a, a deep breath in our belly. Um, so this, it's a, it's a rigor. We will make mistakes, you know, doing this over time. Certainly no, I, I certainly have, you know, um, but, uh, it gets better with time. Yeah. And you're in the ring, like Brene Brown yeah. says, if you're yeah. in the ring. The only certainty is you will get your ass kicked. That's the <laughs> only, that's the only certainty. Um, so as we're sort of starting to wrap here, I'm wondering, you know, for people that are interested, that are listening, that maybe have boys that are the parents of boys. 10 to 14, what's the deal? Where is it being held? You know, how long is it? It's, this is an interesting program too, because it does involve the fathers. It's not that you're sending your son off to this, you're coming to it. So that's also different from other programs I've looked at. 
Yeah, I mean that's partly what is unique about this. In the you know in the um, kind of in traditional societies, the fathers do not initiate the boys. That's the parents don't. It's impossible to do that. They're taken by their uncles and the elders of the village. This is a little different. We're not you know we're at that earlier threshold of into teenage years, and this is re- it's a good time actually to do this type of work with a parent when they get into their later teens. We're gonna want to <laughs> we're gonna want to do that not with their parents, right? But for this, it's all about, you know, cultivating a a deep connection with the fathers. And so, or father figures, you know, if it's a grandfather, an uncle, a mentor, a masculine identified parent, um, you know, whoever that that is for the boy. It's So the first one that we're doing is in, um, it's in Lake County, California, north of San Francisco, a couple of hours. Um, And it's April 14th through 16th. Um, the website is fathersonconnection.com. Uh, you can fathersonconnection.com. You can find all the information about it there. You can also, um, if you're still looking for more answers, you can you can click over to my website, lukeentrup.com, and um, you can. I'm happy to answer questions. You can find me there. Um, and then also, you know, the I mentioned this this uh, this podcast with Frederick, which I think if people enjoyed this conversation i definitely recommend and listen to that episode uh in my web on my uh, podcast called crazy wisdom and um yeah frederick marx is his name awesome and you will be there with your son i am i'm going to co-lead this with julian <laughs> and a few other men so um julian is my son julian is my son yeah, he's gonna. We're gonna do this together. He's gonna teach a little meditation, and um, we're gonna do this together with a few other men. We've got um, we've got a man who's a sex educator who's gonna help with that part of this. The, he's a certified sex educator who's gonna help with that part of it. But most of the experience is gonna be outside um, with fathers and sons at a beautiful place with a, a stream rolling through it. We'll do a little cold plunge in the morning. We'll spend some time out in the out in the the hills and the mountains on. Um, uh, in Lake County. So. Oh, that's great. And, um, I'm curious, you know, since this is what you're sort of presenting, how, how is this being responded to by others? Or, you know, do you find yourself constantly describing what a rite of passage even is? (laughs) What, what are people's common questions? It's a great question. I think most people are getting get this idea of a rite of passage, right? I think it's out there now in a way that it wasn't 20 years ago. I think most people kind of understand the idea that there are these like people think of like outward bound and vision quest and most people know what that is. Um so it's been met with a lot of I would just say positive reception and we've had people reach out already wanting to, you know, bring it to their communities around North America and even some folks in Europe. So I, my sense is if we talk again in a year, we will have done many of these. And, um, but we're, we're just focusing on get the first one off the ground here. And do you have a plan is that it'll be quarterly or do you, are you not sure yet? You're just doing this one. Um, our plan is to do a uh, kind of regularly schedule them here in California, probably two or three a year. And then if someone wants to bring it to their community, that um, we would have local kind of producers where they just help us find a site and help get about half of the people. We keep the numbers pretty small. So it's basically 12 father-son duos, so 24 people. We keep it intimate and small. So basically, you know, a group of about six father-son duos and a good retreat center, and we're ready to roll. So that's helpful to know. Yeah. 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 So um, 
And in terms of, of prep, you know, I'm thinking about my clients and some of them do have sons at this age. Um, in terms of their own sort of prep, what mm-hmm. would you recommend or what would your advice be for introducing this concept to their son and describing it and, you know, kind of preparing their own self, you know, because I would imagine if I were in that position, I would think, oh, am I going to be okay? Am I going to show up? Are they going to like me? Am I going to lead well? My son is going to see me with all these other men. You know, there's a whole host of insecurities that go along with, I'm taking my son on this journey because I'm there too. I'm I'm in it. <laughs> oh, it, they are definitely. I just want to be clear. Like this is a rite of passage for the boys, but it is also a rite of passage for the fathers. You know, we as fathers are, it's the first time for most of us that we will be fathers of teenagers, right? So there's a there's an entire rite of passage that happens on the parenting journey around that. Not to mention if if you know most of most men have not had a rite of passage in their own life or their own initiation right and so it will activate in them feelings and and an experience and so we have a whole we've we've crafted a whole kind of separate journey for the fathers there will be times where they will be meeting just as fathers with some of the other kind of leaders of the event and um partly mostly they're there to connect with their boy and to to you know be supportive for the other boys. Um, but there is a whole experience that's, I think, going to be pretty rich. In my experience, doing a version of this program for many years, they are going to have their own initiation. And um, so we'll do a we'll do a prep call with them and then we'll also have some follow-on integration afterwards. So that's good to know about too, because I think the follow-on integration, I would imagine that it's actually quite rare in our culture to have any sort of Hey, my parent, my kid is this age now. You know, we don't have a lot of. We have some of that. We have friends that might have kids around the same age, but to have a group of men that have a group of boys around the same age, there's something powerful about that because, yeah, developmentally, there's a lot going on. Yeah, well, it's different. Like, so you know, so like maybe maybe our our son is in a sports club or like a team, and like we meet the other dads there, and maybe we can talk about football and you know, occasionally talk about something related to work, but there's like a, there's a shallowness, I think in a lot of just the, the kind of cultural norms around this. So this is what you're describing. It's like a group of fathers with kids the same age, but I would say one of the principles here is depth. How deep can we go? How deep can we go together about getting, you know, about our own truth? And that maybe means even for the fathers having, needing some courage and, um, you know, kind of just being courageous in examining their own heart and mind so that they can show up fully for their for their son and the rest of their family, right? That um, there is going to be an invitation towards a deep level of vulnerability for the fathers as well, because we think that that is how you raise good men is to to show that vulnerability is actually a sign of strength and that speaking from the heart and and speaking our truth, even when it's uh, about the painful things that happen to us, that that actually takes a tremendous amount of courage to not paper over that and not go into the numb places. That was powerful. That's a great place to end. I feel like that that wraps it all up. So again, I will drop the website as well as the podcast episode that you mentioned in the show notes. So if you're listening and you don't have time to write it down, those will be available for you. And um, I'm excited to have you back in a year. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Well, I've really enjoyed the conversation and love what you and Jason are doing with this, with this podcast. So great work. 
Hey, so I have another fun thing to share, which is um, another success story by one of our clients. Uh, we had some good feedback on the last one that we that we shared. This is another client who says, "Hey, Mel. So, oh, and the the uh, title of the email is taking your advice." And he says, "So I've been going to a beginner salsa class for the past three weeks near my house. It's been twelve years in the making. I finally went for it." I even managed to rope my cousin into going. She and I go together each weekend. Anyways, this past weekend, I was feeling more nervous than usual, so I expressed my self-talk to my cousin. I told her I was nervous for this class, so let's partner up the entire time, unlike the previous classes where we rotated partners. She was cool with it and didn't think anything of it. I was like, damn, that was easy. Since I'm always worried about making someone uncomfortable with my touch, I practiced with my cousin during the partner portion of the class by asking, hey, how's my arm placement on your shoulder? It was a safe situation, and still, I felt nervous asking this, so I'm glad I got to practice with my cousin so I can be a tad bit more comfortable when I'm with a woman I'm interested in. It was cool to remember to ask an open-ended question instead of a yes-no. Not too long after that, I remember during our last one-on-one, you mentioned leaning into that side that gets the impulse to give commands to a woman. So with my cousin, I noticed a couple nearby getting too close, so to avoid colliding, I told her, move to your left. Telling someone what to do is not natural and it felt weird, but she didn't question it. She just went, she just went with it. I thought, wow, I didn't even have to explain myself like I normally would. These were moments where I didn't do the above. Sorry. There were moments when I didn't do the above when it was called for, which sucked. Leading was hard to do in class, but I went for it those handful of times, as you said. It gives me hope that I can break through that barrier when it counts whenever I end up meeting a woman by using this low stakes situation with my cousin to practice. I just, love this note for several reasons, but one of the things that I love the most is the way that this man is leaning into smaller and um, lower stake situations to practice and to train his body, mind, and his nervous system in order to lean into leadership and lean into his masculine power. And I think there's something deeply healthy masculine about saying you know, how's this, how's my hand on your shoulder? How is this for you? It feels inviting. It feels powerful. It feels reassuring for both him because he gets some feedback and the person that gets to express because when we're invited to give feedback, we're a lot more likely to give it. So shout out to him. And I just wanted to share that because I thought it might be inspiring for some of you to hear. And if you are interested in going deeper than the podcast and learning about coaching, you can go to evolutionary.men slash training to take our free training. And that will give you a little bit more about coaching and a little bit more about the healthy masculine and, you know, kind of our take on it, Jason's and my take on it in terms of how to actually apply it to your life. So again, that's evolutionary.men slash training if you're interested in that. And if you want to support the podcast, you can always become a patron. You can join my Patreon. If you join at a level of $10 a month or more, you will get access to our live free, well, not free because you're paying for Patreon, but our live monthly Q&A. We just had one this past Wednesday and it was great. Thank you to everyone who showed up. It was really fun. It's great for our inaugural experience. Um, and that is just, yeah, just Google Patreon, Dear Men Podcast. It should come up right away. And I also just want to thank everyone who has already become a patron. It's really helpful and it helps me keep this podcast going. It also helps me keep this podcast ad-free. I'm committed to keeping it ad-free and it's uh, really helpful. So thank you and big shout out to everyone for your support.